All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of I Can Steal That, the true crime podcast that's never too heavy. I'm your host, Pete Stegmeyer. Man, very exciting episode today. This is 4th of July weekend. We're actually recording this on the 4th of July. And I figured, why not talk about a real American kind of heist today? Like something that's, you know, screaming eagles and, and that kind of thing. And it doesn't really get much more American than the Great Kentucky Bourbon Heist, a.k.a. Pappy Gates. And before we get into the crime itself, this episode is going to have a lot of exposition because I think I think that that's really important for for this episode. So you really understand like the value and how like important this is and like how painstaking this process is. So we're going to do a deep dive into bourbon and the history of the Van Winkle family of bourbon specifically. But before we start that, uh, this would not be an episode that does honor to Kentucky without a guest from Kentucky. He is one of my best friends in the world. He is from Louisville, and he runs the fantastic Louisville True Crimes podcast. Adam Thomas, how's it going? It's going, man. How are you? It's going I'm, well. I'm living the dream. I'm, I'm very excited for this one. Yeah, I am too. I'm I'm glad you asked me to come out because uh, I was literally just doing nothing, and I was like, "Oh, hey, yeah, let's do a podcast. That'll be fun. Do some promo." Excellent. Yeah, let's let's do some promo. And speaking of promo, before we start, uh, if you're listening to this in New York City area, uh, definitely come out tomorrow night, uh, July sixth, to Greenwich Village Comedy Club at seven thirty. I'm going to be headlining a benefit show to help fight veteran suicide for the Headstrong Project. Super fun show. Every comic on there is a military veteran and also an incredible comic. Uh, so if you can check it out, you can DM me for for details. Uh, I think I even have a few comp tickets available. So, so yeah, that's check super that cool. Out. I wish I was in New York. I'd definitely come out and see, but I'm not. But it's okay. That's right. We're there. we're doing this. I'll, I'll get there one day. You will. You one will day. get here one day. All right. Uh, so let's let's go ahead and start this with uh, a little yeah. bit of a deep dive into bourbon. Okay. All right. And I, I promise this exhibition or this uh, exposition is is worth it. Okay. So bourbon is an American made whiskey, most commonly distilled in Kentucky. So it doesn't have to be made in Kentucky, even though a lot of Kentucky bourbon makers will say it has to be made in Kentucky to be real bourbon. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's that's not really the case. Although ninety five percent of America's bourbon, or ninety five percent of the world's bourbon, is made in Kentucky. Wait a minute. You mean that there are people who would lie about bourbon in the state of Kentucky and the quality thereof? I find yeah. that absolutely shocking. It, it is shocking. That is actually the only <laughs> shocking thing about today's episode. I don't know if you managed to pick up that that just dripping sarcasm, but you know, I laid it on thick. Yeah, I, I picked it up. Okay, okay. All right. So in order for a whiskey to qualify as a bourbon, there's some criteria that it needs to meet. Number one, it has to be made in the USA. Mm -hmm. uh, number two, it has to be at least 51% corn uh, mm -hmm. because whiskeys are made out of uh, mixtures of grains. So there's usually wheat, barley, uh, rye, and then corn. And for a bourbon to have that characteristic sweet flavor, it has to be at least 51% corn. Okay. Uh, it's got to be aged in a brand new <clears throat> charred oak <clears throat> for at least two years. Okay. And then it has to have no additives for color, flavor, or anything like that. You can add water to it um, during the distilling process, and we'll get to that in a second. But okay. you can't add anything that's going to like otherwise enhance. The Alter the flavor, right. 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 Okay. And and bourbon like really is like the American drink. Like it actually dates back to just after the American Revolution. Okay. Uh, Elijah Craig set up the first bourbon still. I want to say in like 1785. Um but okay. like my favorite bourbon, uh I'm I'm a Basil Hayden's guy. Uh mm -hmm. that was being made when George Washington was president. So that was like wow. 17 like 96 I think they started making. So that, that was that just like um independently made it wasn't like a distillery or anything well they they had distilleries but but oh. it was like independent like it was like a guy okay. named basil hayden a guy named elijah craig like making right 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 so elijah craig kind of democratized i guess lack of a better term the process exactly created the first okay all right cool and so whiskey and bourbon production 
suffered greatly during prohibition. So from like the, the beginning of the 1800s to, you know, early 1900s, bourbon is like pretty, you know, it's like cowboys are drinking it. Um, right. It's fairly it's popular. The, it's, it's the harder than beer, but softer than beer. Like if you want some, like if you don't want beer, you want to go harder, you go bourbon. Exactly. Which, right. Exactly. And it's like, you know, the drink of the American frontier and things like right, that. Right. Exactly. And it's going well, but then prohibition hits. Yep. And like, if you've ever been to Kentucky, uh, you know, that something like the law is not going to stop no. people from making bourbon. No. And so thanks to the hills and hollers of Kentucky production never truly stops, but it does go underground during this period. And so that means a lot less of it is getting made. And, um, and the, the value of it goes up there, thereby. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Right. And so like this happens and like, this is why, like when you do the, the bourbon tours in Kentucky, you mm -hmm. get a lot of them that are saying like, they each have like their own distinctive things. So like one of them is like, uh, I think Buffalo Trace is the longest running distillery in America, mm -hmm. but then like Maker's Mark is like the longest uh, like bourbon making distillery in America because they technically Maker's Mark was one of the only ones that like was allowed to make during prohibition for medicinal purposes. Oh, okay. Right. And so there's like all these like weird distinctions and stuff like that, but basically people never stop making bourbon, but it does of kind not. of, it, it goes underground for a bit. And yeah. then during world war two, uh, there's like a huge need for easy alcohols like rum and vodka and for industrial alcohol. So bourbon numbers right. plummet even further because, you know, you can make vodka, you know, out of anything, of, I think in right. a couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, Whereas like bourbon, it has to be at least two years. So it's plus real vodka can be. I can't it be used as an antiseptic or like or like a any disinfectant or something. Yeah, yeah, I think it. I think it can. So there's like there's a bigger demand for this kind of okay. stuff. And after a while, like bourbon kind of becomes known as like an old drunk's drink. Uh -huh. uh, and so then you have like cocktails like old fashions and Manhattans that kind of go out of vogue, and everybody just associates like associates them with like, you know, drunk old men. Right. Um, but then in like the sixties, seventies, like you start to get a little bit, uh, a little bit more of the sophisticated stuff. Like, you know, Mad Men, like they're all about right. bourbon. The and scotch like and bourbon, right. Yeah. And, and sophisticated drink of like gentlemen and whatever. Exactly. And a lot of that, uh, a lot of that reimaging actually is due to, uh, scotch. So I'm glad you mentioned that. And scotch like, right. really came, came into its own in the eighties. Yeah. And so as scotch kind of, you know, raised the tide, it lifted all ships and bourbon was in there. Was it um, that late for scotch? I felt like, I mean, I could, I mean, you did your research. I obviously didn't do my research, but, uh, I would have I thought scotch was coming around more like in the late fifties, early sixties, according to Mad Men and shows like that. No, I mean, I could be, yeah, it's like it definitely like it started to hit like the market a little bit, but it really didn't become like a cultural thing mm -hmm. until uh, until like the 80s. And that's oh, when, okay. you know, the, the ultra high value like right. scotches and things like that, because, again, like scotch has been being made for hundreds of years. That's true. OK. And and now, like when you look at bourbon, it's it's everywhere. Like you can't go to Applebee's without like, you know, the bourbon maple uh, bacon right. burger. And it's doubly so here in Louisville. Everywhere is bourbon. Everything. Yeah, and it's, I mean, and there's a lot of reasons for that. It's like, it's got a nice sweet flavor to it, but you can get like a little spicy. It's it's like my favorite, my favorite liquor for sure. Yeah. Um, and now, like, I, I really think we're at a point where like bourbon is never going to not be synonymous with American cuisine and food and drinks. Uh, yeah, I'd say that's fair. Like I said, it's, it's, it's hard to escape it around here where I live because this is like, next to the heart of it because you know bardstown is where a lot of the bourbon is or around there so for people listening that don't know louisville is like the main metropolitan city in kentucky but the bourbon itself is actually made about 30 minutes 45 minutes south of louisville it starts in a little town called, called bardstown and it goes on south from there um and that's once you get out that way, you that's where you get into the distilleries. There's the Four Roses, Jim Beam, the Mike Maker's Mark. You go on a little further, you've got the Jeff the Creed. I think Elijah Craig is out that way. So, um, yeah. So, uh, 
it's it's inescapable around here. Everything is bourbon themed. Every restaurant that pops up now has a bourbon menu, and it's just it's inescapable. It, it really is, and like that's that's kind of one of my favorite things. Like I still like if you ever get a chance in Kentucky to go to Bourbon Fest, it's such a good time. Like everybody just gets like absolutely wasted in like a softball field behind a church and like public drunkenness is like fine that night. And like, you just buy tickets that you buy. It's a lot of fun. There's like a carnival and there's like usually like some eighties tribute band. And and it's like one of the only times where it's like totally acceptable to sleep it off, like in a baseball field. And then in the morning, like people just kind of go home. Like I, I was stationed in, uh, Kentucky for Bur- I got to do a Bourbon Fest one time and it was That's funny. I definitely want to get back for that. But uh let's let's get back into this again real quick. So yeah. now let's let's talk real quick about how bourbon is made. Okay. And then this will kind of also highlight why Pappy is so rare. Okay. Or valuable and good at least. So distillation um, for bourbon begins with a grain mix that's at least 51% corn. And then you, uh, another thing you have to have for that is malted barley. And the malted part is very important. Mm-hmm. Um, and that grain gets mashed up. You get hot water and yeast added to it. And that yeast combines with the malted barley and turns all of the starches from those grains into sugars. And then those sugars turn into alcohol. And so okay. this alcohol mash um, actually it looks like a really like chunky beer and it's actually called like distiller's beer. It's got like that. Uh, like I grew up in Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. So like Milwaukee just smells like yeast for like four months out of the year. <laughs> Cause they're making all the beer and stuff. Yeah. Up it just smells like hot mm-hmm. beer yeast. And uh. that's, that's very similar to what this, uh, this brewers or distiller's beer smells like. Ugh. And so this, this distiller's beer gets loaded into one of those like copper stills and they, they raise the temperature on it, um, and they, they hit a sweet spot where the alcohol is able to evaporate out, but the water does not. And that's okay. usually right around like 173 degrees is where alcohol starts to turn into steam and evaporate, but the water is still liquid. And this process, like um, basically as, as that alcohol vapor is rising, it's hitting like these cool condensed uh, copper coils and then is turning back into alcohol. And it's about a, like, by the time this is done, you've got, you've got alcohol. That's about 125 proof, but it's not really ready for consumption yet. So they distill it a second time and this gets it a little closer to pure and leaves it at like 135 proof. Um, and if you're not sure what proof means, Basically, you double that number, and that's the percentage of alcohol. So 200 proof is pure pure alcohol. Uh, 100 proof means that it's 50% alcohol and 50%, you know, like water or like whatever, uh, you know, whatever else it might be. Right. And so this alcohol um, is sometimes called the white dog. Uh, there's a lot of fun names when it comes to like bourbon making and spirits making, uh, and they all sound like real folksy and stuff like that. So the white dog is basically this, this liquor that is not yet bourbon, but is, is about 135 proof alcohol. And this, so the white dog gets thrown into a brand new charred Oak barrel. So the inside of the, bur- uh, the barrel is like burned and charred. Okay. Uh, and then they add just enough water to get the, to bring down the entire barrel to 125 proof. Okay. And once it gets barreled up, uh, the barrels are taken to age in barrel houses all over the state of Kentucky. And Kentucky really is like the best place in America to, to make bourbon because of the crazy temperature swings. Oh yeah. And so like these, these warehouses and these barrel houses, as they're called, uh, they're, they're just like, they're huge, huge warehouses, but they don't have like air conditioning. They don't have fans or anything like that. They're just these enormous warehouses that are, you know, out there with the elements. And so in the summer, like, so what's your average temperature? Like, it's not uncommon to get like a hundred degree. Uh, no, there. not at all. No, not at all. Um, average summer temperatures range anywhere between 80 and a hundred. Uh, it's a pretty big swing. And sometimes now with climate change and everything happening, um, I mean, it can come, like, we'll just say, like, at noon, like, because just, you know, high noon, whatever, 
Um, it can range anywhere from 60 to 100, honestly. It just depends on how the fronts are moving, um, how the, you know, you know, how a river is affecting things. But I mean, yeah, it can get anywhere in the summer, like right now in June or July, it can get up well over a hundred. It can get up to 110, 115 some days. Yeah, that's, that's definitely like, so you get hot summers and you also get pretty cold winters. Like usually. Yeah. Yeah. Well, between like 20 and 30 degrees. Uh, for- oh, we've, I've seen it dip to negative numbers many times in my life. Um, most recently they've been kind of the last few winters have been kind of mild. We would have like, uh, you know, 20, 15, 20 degrees, mostly average. And then some days would dip down and we'd get a big push of snow and then it would do back up to like the twenties and thirties for a couple of weeks. I mean, okay. like last, like last winter we had a one, like one night we got like four or five inches of snow and then it was like 30 the rest of the week. So, okay. That's yeah, that's that's perfect, and that that all helps uh, the bourbon process because as those temperatures rise and fall, the yeah. wood for these barrels is you know expanding and and contracting uh, right. with those temperatures. So the wood's going to swell in the summer; it's going to contract in the winter, and it kind of it kind of like you know when you like have something in your mouth and you swish it around. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what the wood is doing to the bourbon in. Oh, when it's expanding and contracting? Okay. Yeah, so that's like moving it around. And bourbon is also stored on its side, so there's a little bit more surface area with air. Right. Um, And that all helps as well. So it's aerating, and the the bourbon is coming in and out of the wood, and that's what's giving it, like, the charred wood that's, like, sucking it up and spitting it out is giving it that, you know, distinct caramel color, and it's giving it taste and spices and and things like that. So that's, that's how bourbon is, like, that's how alcohol becomes bourbon. Oh, okay. So the oak char and the temperatures and the expanding and the action inside the barrel from the expanding and contracting, all of that comes together in a process to create bourbon. Exactly. And that's gotcha. that's like what makes bourbon bourbon. And while bourbon right. needs to barrel age for at least two years to legally be called bourbon, yeah. there's no upper limit on the aging process. Yeah. Well, at least not like in terms of rules. There is an upper limit uh, because the alcohol does evaporate over time. Right. Like a viability kind of thing. Right. Uh, and so the longer alcohol, the longer this bourbon spends in the barrel, the mm-hmm. less of it there's going to be when you open it up. And that like the missing part is called the angel share. Because mm-hmm. that's like, you know, all the all the distillers are like, oh, this must be like what the angels wanted to sip on. Oh, uh, Lord. But but it's it's true, and it makes it yeah right. Uh, and like the more time it spends in the barrel, like the smoother it's going to be, and the more like well rounded. And so well, sure, it, it does it does make a difference. And that's because it has had time to evaporate out more of the um, unnecessary parts, I guess. The yeah, it, it kind of it kind of gets like filtered too, because you know right. charcoal acts as a filter. Yeah, it's a natural filter, right? And so you get like this really smooth perfect bourbon and this is where the van winkle family comes in um because i i was kind of surprised by this i thought pappy van winkle was just like you know a ho- like a folksy brand name yeah uh but there was a pappy van winkle oh and he started the distillery in like his nickname was pappy but he started right. the distillery in 1893 and then the first half of the uh, 20th century really decimated the company and it had them near ruin for a long time because they weren't really a household name, even when things were good at this point. Like they were just, you know, another small bourbon company. Right. And I mean, there's there's thousands of distillers. So like it really takes something special to to stand out. And so their stockpiles started to diminish it. And basically they just sat in the warehouses because they weren't they weren't able to sell the bourbon that they had been making. So it's just sitting there for longer and longer and longer. Right. And then in 1996, uh, Julian Van Winkle, he, he decides to try something like kind of nuts and he submits a bourbon that had been sitting around aging in a barrel for 20 years. And he gives it to the beverage chasing Institute. And he's like, and they're the people that rate all the bourbon. So they're like, this one is a 95 or, you know, this one's like pretty good, but it's like, you know, a 70 or whatever the right 
well, 70 would not be pretty good. But Right. No, that doesn't. That would be a garbage. Um, but yeah, so they, they submit it there, like basically just to see what happens. Because at this point, he's like, we're not selling any of this. And, you know, it doesn't hurt to try. It's like, let's right. just, let's see what happens, basically. <laughs> just, let's, yeah, let's just, we got to get rid of it. Let's just say it's special. Let's put a special yeah. name on it. And so they they um, they label it as Pappy Van Winkle twenty year, send it to the Beverage Tasting Institute, and it gets a ninety nine out of a hundred rating. Holy shit! Yeah, which like had never been done before. So it was just a fluke. They were just like, oh god, we we're at ruin. Let's just make the last little dime we can, and then all of a sudden they're like, have the most brilliant bourbon in the world. Exactly. And it was like wow. it was like overnight. And once this this ninety nine rating happened, mm-hmm. like Peppy Van Winkle becomes one of the most sought after spirits in the world. And so they started releasing 10, 15, 20, and their prized 23-year bourbon. So Pappy Van Winkle 23 year mm-hmm. is like the top shelf. Like that's the best of the best as far as what Pappy Van Winkle makes. Right. And each of these is bottled and sold in very limited quantities because also like, remember when I said the angel share? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Okay. So if you have a 55 gallon uh, barrel, Uh I believe at this point, like it evaporates so much that after 20 years, only about five gallons or so is left. Holy shit. And so then you've got this like really, you know, filtered smooth, like, yeah, nice. see, but that's like super duper fine. Yeah, it's like what's there is fantastic. Yeah. Um but that's, that's why it's three thousand dollars a bottle. Yeah, well, actually I, I learned something interesting about that as well. So currently Pappy Van Winkle only makes about seven thousand cases per year. And that's total a, yeah, and that's across okay. like so you know, they'll have like some of their tens, like some of their fifteens, right. twenties. And 23s, but it comes out to about 7,000 cases okay. per year. Um, and a bottle of the 23 year, like if you can mm-hmm. get it retail, like at a liquor store, mm-hmm. it's going to set you back about $250. Yeah, but. But you can't get it in liquor stores because right. it's so sought after. And so you're kind of left to go to the secondary slash black market. Uh-huh. And this is where bottles of Pappy are selling for thousands of dollars. Uh-huh. Even the empty bottles of Pappy can go for two to three hundred dollars on on eBay just for the bottle itself, which is so ridiculous to me. It's it's nuts, but I, I think personally that people are buying these so that they can uh, say they know. had some Pappy, but they didn't really have Pappy. No, so that they can rebottle it and sell it as oh let's resell it as fake pappy that would be my guess that's what i would that's, do yeah yeah because when i worked when i worked at the marriott we always uh you know they kept the pappy locked up but they had a couple of like high-end liquors that we kept like we had a bottle of louis trey and uh louis the 13th it's a cognac for people that are listening um and they said a bottle of louis trey goes for like just just the bottle goes for like thirteen hundred, like it's like like a seventy five or hundred dollars per shot out of the bottle. Oh yeah, it's 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 intense. Uh, I've yeah. had I've had Pappy. I got a shot of it exactly one time at a wedding, mm-hmm. and I, I think I almost cried. Like it was <laughs> how good it was because I was like, okay, like this will be like this will be this will be nice, I, right? This will be fun, but. I was like, on like, just I can't even put into words how good it is. Like, just wow. like I didn't even want more than like that small sip I had because it was just like, it was like just want to cherish it, right? Just like a kiss from an angel. I had a friend who went into the army years and years ago, and when he came home from basic or from his first deployment or something, um, the very first thing he didn't have kids, he didn't have a wife, he was just him and his military paychecks, and that was it. So the very first thing he did was went to a bar and bought a whole bottle of Pappy. Oh my God. Well, maybe not a whole bottle, but he went for Pappy because it was the most expensive thing and he never bought anything while he was enlisted. So he, uh, yeah, he was like, I'm just going to spend a lot of money on something crazy. And so he did. I mean, honestly, good for him. Yeah, no, for real. Yeah. Good for him. But yeah. 
Okay, so that is that is basically why Pappy Van Winkle is so valuable. It's because it's rare, because it's really, really good, and because it's in extremely high demand. Right. And so, with that out of the way, let's get into the heist itself. Let's do it. And by the way, I know this is 25 minutes in. Thank you guys for, for sticking with me. I promise, like, the story is, <laughs> the story is good, but I just, I, I feel like it really needs, you know, you need to know why it's special. Um, and I don't know much about, like, painting, so I can't get into, like, you know, the, the methods of brush strokes and things like that as much as I'd like to. But I really know bourbon. And uh-huh. like, if I can like help people get excited about that a little bit and be like, okay, this is a big deal. Then Yeah, no, this has been great. I mean, I've, I've honestly, as long as I've lived in Louisville, I know sweet F all about, about, uh, bourbon. So this has been an, a very educational episode for me. Awesome. I'm, I'm glad to hear it. Yeah. I'm excited to hear about this heist now because, uh, anyway, go ahead. Sorry. I'm uh, go ahead. Okay, cool. So much like bourbon, this heist, uh, it doesn't happen all at once. That was, that was my favorite line. That was the best written line in the whole episode. Uh, <laughs> uh, I feel like I'm a tour guide right now. Um, like I, I'm just like walking everybody through the Buffalo Trace distillery. And also it's yeah. worth pointing out, uh, if I didn't already, that basically the demand for Pappy Van Winkle became so great that uh, the Van Winkle family and the Van Winkle branding of bourbon went under the the Buffalo Trace uh, umbrella of brands. Wait a minute. So is this the one that happened like within the last few years? Yeah, this happens. Um, this okay. kind of pops off like early, like mid 2000s to the yeah. 20-teens. Okay. All right. Okay. 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 I thought that's okay. I'm with you now. Sorry. Go ahead. Okay. Perfect. And so – a lot of times you have these bigger brands like Buffalo Trace, uh, which if you ever get to do the tour for that one is super cool. My favorite tour is still Maker's Mark, but Buffalo Trace has a lot of cool stuff and you get to see the Pappy. Um, but basically, like they they kind of make everything now, the same, the same recipe and stuff like that, but for distribution and scale and things like that, it's under the Buffalo Trace umbrella. Mm-hmm. And that happens with a lot. Like Buffalo Trace has a lot of premium brands. Like Eagle Rare is another incredible bourbon that's under the Buffalo Trace umbrella and things like that. And so this story is going to start with a Buffalo Trace employee named Toby Kurtzinger. Uh, Toby had been with the distillery for many, many years um, because working at a distillery in Kentucky, it's a big deal. Yeah, that's a prized job. Yeah, it's a prized job. Like it pays really well. Like I think the average distillery worker salary is like ninety thousand dollars. God bless. Which is yeah, like nothing to shake a stick at. Like it's no. and it's like stable, like because Kentucky's always gonna be making <laughs> bourbon. It's stable because we got horses. <laughs> God damn it. Okay. <laughs> we we're gonna cut that in post. Oh uh, okay. No, I'm I'm not. I'll just I'll come okay. up with the worst joke at some point. <laughs> okay, moving on. Okay, but but yeah, like working at a distillery is one of those jobs that like really once you got it, you mm-hmm. don't leave the company. Yeah, no. Like it's just it's too good of a gig. Uh, it, it pays really well. The work is like definitely physically demanding at times, but usually like you know you like the people you're with and everybody's happy to be there. It's like it's really something you take pride in. Right. Uh, my dad is actually like, he's like that. He works at a, uh, at a brewing company and like a, like a canning factory for beer. And it's kind of uh-huh. the same thing. Like he started with Miller and like now works for, uh, like Anheuser-Busch Coors, but it's like one of those things where like you get in and you just kind of stay in because it's a, it's a good gig. Right. Or you make lateral moves inside the company and stuff like that instead of finding new work. Exactly. And right. And yeah, like my dad's done that. He's like, you know, risen up through the ranks and stuff like that. But everything has been, you know, in this, in this industry and this, uh, and bourbon is the same way. Right. And so Toby had been with the distillery for about 26 years. Um, by the time all was said and done, and he'd worked his way up to a senior position in the loading dock. And Toby had the, this reputation for being kind of like a wild, but fun guy, like the party animal kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he played on a couple softball teams uh, that were like traveling softball teams and they had, 
they had like fun, like kind of dirty names. <laughs> like I, I'm pretty sure like, um, like, like, like bar trivia team names. Yeah. Kind of like bar trivia teams. Um, but then like a little, like a little pervy and like with softball references. Okay. Um, like I think one was called like the brick hit house or something like that. <laughs> or it was okay. something like that. It right, was like, right, right, right. Okay. It was like hit instead you. of shit. And then there, like, right. there was another one about like sliders and, and stuff like right. that. But, like, you know, just fun beer league things. And he had this reputation for always bringing bourbon with him, like pretty much wherever he went. So like his softball teams, he would have like Gatorade bottles, mm-hmm. like just full of bourbon. And everyone's like, we're supposed to be drinking beer. And he's like, bourbon. And then he would just like squirt it into his mouth. And he was like, he was kind of that guy. Okay, Uh, and then he was also he kind of had a reputation for being the guy that could get you like you know anabolic steroids if you wanted them oh he's that guy yeah he's like red in shawshank redemption where you can kind of get anything okay okay and okay so pappy pappy is hard to get legitimately uh but it turns out it is honestly not that hard to steal especially if you're an employee at buffalo trace yeah. And like during the course of this investigation, like multiple employees told police like that pretty much everybody stole uh stole some like while they worked. Uh they're like, yeah, like sometimes I'd bring a couple bottles home from work or um when Pappy was bottled, uh like when when it's ready for the 23 year, it gets put into the bottles or for any vintage honestly. Uh, and putting it in like a glass or stainless steel container stops the aging process. So it's going to stay like having having right. bourbon and or wine for that matter in like a glass bottle. It's yeah, always going to taste like that. It eliminates its its ability to evaporate, and it eliminates its ability to breathe. Right, right. And so like wine can turn like sour into vinegar or whatever eventually, but bourbon kind of just stays bourbon. Right. Um, and so they would lock it up in this cage where it was like ready to basically ready to be shipped out to stores. Uh, but everybody that worked there knew that the storage cage where it was locked up had like a hinge that you could just kind of pull out and access that way. Hmm. And then you could just put the, like replace the hinge on the door. So um, did the, 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 the distillery management not know this? I, I think the distillery management was probably in on it. Oh, so it was because, just kind of a we get first dibs kind of situation. Yeah, it was kind of it was kind of like that where it was like everybody right. everybody kind of knew that everybody was stealing a little bit, but like nobody it was it was kind of like one of the perks of the job. And actually, like, oh, okay. looking, looking back at it now, like when my dad worked for Budweiser, uh, a lot of times he would come home with like a couple cases of beer. And mm-hmm. he always called it his safety beer. He's like, oh, like we got this for like a week of like no accidents. Um, oh, right, right, right. And I mean, like they're, they're making millions of cans a day. So like who right. knows if that's like true or not. But like a lot of like when I worked as a cable guy in Milwaukee, I did Miller employees like a lot of times that they would always have like just huge amounts of beer. Right. And I'm like safety beer. They're like, you know, what's up. Yeah, right, right. Safety beer, right. Yeah, so they called it safety beer. So I'm I'm assuming that it's kind of that same thing where everybody's just like, you know, like don't you know, don't like reach into like the take a penny, leave a penny jar and like pocket the whole handful of change, but like if you want to swap a, a penny for a dime once in a while, we're not gonna look the other way. Right. You know, that kind of thing is is kind of what it seems. And so if everybody uh, and also, like, sometimes, like, workers would hide, like, a case of Pappy on a pallet and then, like, surround it with, like, you know, cheaper bourbon, like, wild turkey or or buffalo trace or something like that. Or sometimes they'd fudge the, the numbers on, like, shipping and inventory documents. But kind of a lot of people were, were, you know, taking a little bit. There's, like, the angel share and then there's, like, the Pappy dock worker share. Right. So they're, so they're nipping it from uh, from every step of the logistics process here yeah exactly and that's right and when you've got like a bourbon that's like you know known for being rare and hard to get you know that doesn't seem weird when like it's rare and hard to get for everybody else and some of that's because a lot of it was getting gobbled up before it hit stores right and but toby he took things to new heights 
uh, he got greedy. And in 2008, he starts his, his bourbon theft and he starts small. Like sometimes he would just steal a single bottle from like a display case. He also like has this reputation for being like a really generous guy. And so he starts this thing where he loans money to his coworkers who need it. Um, which again is like pretty common in like blue collar, uh, like blue collar industries. Like when I worked at like as a cable guy or in the factory, like sometimes people just needed a couple bucks to, you know, until payday. Right. Sure. And so what Toby would do is he would, you know, be like, here's a couple hundred bucks or whatever it is. And then instead of getting like payment back in cash, he'd be like, just give me a couple bottles of Pappy and like we'll call it square. Right. And, you know, that, I mean, he's doing his, his friends a solid, like, sure, they're stealing for him, but, but everybody's already kind of stealing. So it's right. not really, it's not really a big deal. Um, but then like Toby starts scaling it up in a big way. And one night he loads 50 cases of Eagle Rare into his pickup truck. Which Holy is, shit. yeah, which is insane. Like that's, yeah. that's a lot. And like his truck was so heavy that he bottomed out going into his driveway. <laughs> well, yeah, that's like what a case weighs, what, 12 pounds times 50. So you're looking at God less. That's ridiculous. Like, yeah. Like, well, like 700 pounds in a bag. That's like slinging concrete bags in the back of your truck, man. Yeah, exactly. And it's also worth pointing out too, that these bourbon like warehouses and things like that, are yeah. enormous and they're all over yeah. like the most remote parts of Kentucky. Like oh, you'll totally. have like, you'll have some in like, you know, like Bardstown, like where pe- they want you to see them. Cause it's like kind of cool for bourbon country, but right. most of these are like hidden away. And a lot of times, you know, there might be, you might have like one square mile per employee on this, on these things. So like if you've got a 45 or 50 square mile complex, you might only have 45 or 50 people working it. So the odds of getting away right. with this are pretty are high. Super easy, right? Yeah, it's not especially well protected. Right. That said, I would highly Which, caution against trying to steal anything from the country in Kentucky because you will get <laughs> shot, like yeah, real yeah, dead. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, you'd think with the, with the value of these items that they would have drop a little bit on some high-tech security, man. Well, I think some of this is the times as well. Like this is 2008 when this starts happening and now you can get like ring doorbells or whatever. Yeah. But um, we're talking about a major facility. We're not just talking about somebody's house. You know what I'm saying? That's true. Well, sometimes Toby would ask questions about like where security cameras were like, so they did have like some of this, but there's also just, it, it becomes like a problem of size and scale because these facilities are so huge and everything is so remote. Right. And so, uh, like I said, he like loads up the 50 cases of Eagle Rare into his truck, uh, and he uses his traveling softball team to give him like a lot of opportunities to go around like the state and the region. Oh, to find different places and stuff, right? Yeah, and then he could like sell it because you know they're like, hey, we're playing Toby's team tonight. Like Toby right. can get us like the cheap Eagle Rare or like the cheap Pappy or whatever. Right. And so he gets this reputation as just being that guy. And when people like a lot of times when he's making these deliveries, by the way, he's like wearing his like Buffalo trace shirt. Like he's like dressed like he's coming right. to work. And so he would just like people be like, man, how are you getting this so cheap? And he would say stuff like, you know, oh, this is like surplus. There's like, uh, you know, we messed up the, the, the labels on these bottles. So they're like not sellable. Like, but he would always just kind of give like a line that made it like plausible. Right. And Don't overdo it. Yeah. He's not like overdoing it. Right. Um, but he's saying like, you know, he's not, he's not always saying like this fell off the truck. Like sometimes he's like, Oh, we can't use this or this was right. a surplus or like whatever it is. And, right. 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 And also like the people that he's asking, like assume it's legit or just don't ask questions. They don't want answers to. Exactly. And like they're they're able to get you know cases of like really good bourbon for you know right a couple hundred let me, bucks. Let, let me hand you this highly sought after three hundred dollar bottle of bourbon, a case of it, and just you know just ha- just have it, just take it. Right, that's ridiculous. Yeah, and eventually, like this this grows out of control as well, um, and he starts stealing Pappy by the barrel. Oh my like, lord! Like literally by the barrel. Um, <laughs> And so on a few occasions, he'd take like these, these barrels, he'd mark them for destruction. He'd be like, oh, there was like a hole in it. 
you know, like damn mice mm-hmm. or like whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he'd empty the contents into like plastic barrels or into stainless steel barrels in the back of his truck. Mm-hmm. And then when he'd like leave the facility, he'd just, he'd give like one of the security guys like a hundred bucks to look the other way. Oh my God. And sometimes he would just load it up in like the actual wooden barrels and those wooden barrels could be sold for a lot of money as well. And also, so he, like, go ahead. Uh, if you have a wooden barrel of Pappy and it's full, so like 55 gallons or 60 gallons, whatever they happen to be. It's like tens a, of thousands of dollars. It's a hundred thousand dollars in bourbon. A hundred. Th- oh my God. Dude. And they're just, they just hiring Billy Joe from up the creek. To yeah. Watch it. Yeah. I mean, a lot of this is still done on like the good old boy system where it's like, you know, Bobby's oh boy Lord. is a good, uh, you know, he's a good guy. And so, uh, you know, Bobby's no, boy gets the, gets no the job. wonder this shit walked off. Yeah. I, I mean, wonder. it's, yeah, it's one of those things where like, cause he is not, we'll get into this. He is okay. not good at crime. <laughs> like hey, I don't, Toby? I don't want you to think at any part of this that Toby is like some sort of mastermind. No, it's just that he's able to just dog walk his way out of these situations because nobody gives a shit. Exactly, and that's that's a hundred percent. Like that's his gift is like being able to like navigate like where people just don't care. And I like, mean that's like that's like these people you see on Facebook or whatever on Reddit, whatever, like steal from Walmart. They're like just steal. They're not going to stop you. Just walk out because they put you know the eighty year old granny at the front door. And what's she going to do? You know? Yeah, not much. No, nothing. Sorry, I didn't mean to get off. Go ahead. Oh, no, no, you're fine. But that's, I mean, that's that's kind of it. And so, at this point, when he's stealing it by the barrel, he teams up with a delivery driver, uh, a guy named Mark Searcy. Mm-hmm. And Mark, because he's a delivery driver, has access to all of the storehouse locations for Buffalo Trace. And so, like, Toby Toby had been doing this with, like, limited access. Like, I think he had, you know, like, the main facility um, mm-hmm. for for Buffalo Trace. And there's a lot of stuff stored there. Um, but, like, Mark is, like, he's going, like, sometimes he's, he's the only person at these locations when he's, like, picking stuff up. And so, Toby, like, as he got more orders in, he would just text Cersei uh, and be like, hey, I got uh, this guy wants to buy, you know, 50 bottles of whatever. Mm-hmm. And then Cersei would just like drive out to whatever warehouse it was located at and pick it up. And these storehouses are like just, again, enormous and remote. Um, and usually like once bourbon is aging there, like people don't really pay it much mind. Like some of these barrels are just dumped off and like left for 20 years. And like so ridiculous, and me. because like you have to like kind of leave it be, like it just it's really easy to do that because like yeah, because you're out in, you're out in the holler and you just stick it in a warehouse out there and let it yeah. sit for, and forget about it for the rest of the half of your life. You know? Yeah, and and if you're taking like a, a barrel for something like and right. it's like part of a lot number, like they're not going to check that. You know, sometimes no. for for ten twenty years. Right. So it's yeah. They're yeah. That's oh my god. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh no I'm, worries. I'm I'm overwhelmed with the ignorance of this entire situation. It's it's a lot of a lot of blind trust. Yeah. And so eventually Toby he has like this crew that he calls the Kurtzinger 9. Mm-hmm. And this is like his his criminal empire or his network. So he's got like salesmen, he's got accomplices that help him steal and move uh like just insane amounts of bourbon. Like Definitely tens of thousands, more likely hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars of bourbon. But by mid-2015, things start to spiral out of control. Like mid-2014, mid-2015. And basically, this is about eight years after, or seven, eight years after Toby starts stealing bourbon. So it's going, like they're riding high on the hog for a bit. And it's also worth pointing out that Toby, like, he's got these crews, but he's not paying them all very much money. Like, a lot of times it's like, you know, a hundred bucks a pop, 200 bucks a pop to, you know, help with something sometimes. Right. And he's, him and Cersei are the ones like making the most of this cash. Oh, sure. But Cersei's like, he's getting completely overwhelmed with demand and his, his dad's not in great health. So he's like trying to do that. His, personal relationships are, are kind of falling apart. And so he's just like, he's really getting burnt out. 
And Toby like continuously texts him orders multiple times a day. And so he would be like, Hey, this guy wants six barrels. And then like a minute later, he'd be like, "Never mind, I got this idiot up to eight barrels. Um, and he's like, you know what? Just steal as much as you can. Um, and, yeah. In a text message. <laughs> wow. And eventually like sometimes he was, he was texting Cersei like 15, 20 times in a day. That's so and, and like Toby is also during this time, like just like the emoji has been invented. So he's like real thrilled. He's just like texting dollar signs and like money bags and bourbon bottle, like emojis to people. Oh my Lord. Yeah. It's, it's not great. And so Cersei eventually kind of hits his limit. He's like, like, look, I need to get my life together. Like I'm done. Yeah. And, he just like he taps out, which honestly I get. That's a smart thing to do. And then, so he tells Toby that he's done, and he's got five barrels of Eagle Rare, like at his house. And he's like, mm-hmm. "You need to come get this." He's like, "I'm not going to like hold that anymore. I'm like, I'm completely washing my hands." So, right, Toby goes and like picks up the five barrels of bourbon, drives it to his backyard, that like, covers it with a tarp. And then pretty much immediately after that happens, police get an anonymous tip. Oh. And they're like, hey, like uh, somebody's stealing a bunch of stuff from Buffalo Trace. You might want to check it out. And they get Toby's address. I wonder who that could be. I, I wonder. I wonder. And so police arrive at Toby's house on or at his house on the morning of March 5th or March 11th, 2015. And they could literally smell the bourbon like in the yard. Before <laughs> He's sitting in the front started. yard and his, his lawn chair, just sipping a thing of bourbon right out of the barrel. Like, Hey, what's up fellas? I I'm not even joking. That's almost exactly <laughs> what happens. He's like the police arrive and he's just sitting on his front porch, like on his porch swing. Oh my Lord. And they're like, like, what's up with the bourbon? He's like, and they lift the tarp. They see it right away. He's like, oh, I'm, uh, I'm just holding it for a friend. And he's oh, like. Did he really say that? Yeah. He said that he was holding it for his friend, Mark Cersei. Jesus. You can't, you can't write. You yeah, can't he, write lines that good. And like these barrels like are very clearly Buffalo Trace barrels, but they spray painted over like the lot numbers and stuff like that to try to make it. Well, but sure. at that point, like it's still in the barrel. Like you're not, right. you're not fooling anybody. Um, and so police are searching Toby's house and like, they're finding all sorts of like insane stuff. Cause this dude loved crime. He was awful at it, but he loved like illegal stuff. So right. Right. They find like a bunch of rifles, shotguns. He had a 22 uh-huh. handgun with a silencer. And hey, sometimes- don't tell me, let me guess. This man was a convicted felon. Uh, I don't think he was at this time, actually. Oh, okay. Um, well, he's I, about to be. So. I actually saw that uh, his guns all appeared mm. to be legally owned. Oh, wow. That's so, shocking. like, I do want to, like, throw that out there because, like, I'm talking a lot of shit about this guy. I don't want to. Yeah, no, yeah, right. But that's that's actually surprising that his guns are all legal. But it is also worth pointing out that a lot of times, like, Tony or Toby would have this, like, 22 with a silencer on it. And he would like bring it to work. And when people like didn't feel like cooperating and like helping him steal all this stuff, um, he'd like shoot the silencer like into the berm. He's like, you hear this? Of course you don't. Like nobody's going to hear it if the next one like goes into your skull or like whatever kind of like folksy threat he's trying to make. Right. Um, But they also like they find guns, silencers, uh, a bunch of anabolic steroids, like a ton of anabolic steroids. And... Stolen gas station boner pills. Of course. Yeah, because if you needed anything, Tony need, or Toby was. Well, he's got a you know he's got a he's got to counteract the effects of those steroids, man. And the whiskey, yeah. And the right, right. So yeah. And so yeah, he he gets found with all of this, and the whole time that he's on like the porch, like police are just watching him, and he's literally texting everybody. He's like, "Hey, man, the cops are at my house, like right now." Uh, because that's not suspicious and the cops like just kind of let him do it um 
And well, yeah, because that's linking that's linking all his contacts back to him. Exactly, and so he <clears> tries to delete the messages. Like after the cops are like, "Can we go through your phone?" He's like, "Yeah, man." He's like, "If you see any text, this is a true line, by the way." Yeah, like I would just disregard any of the the ones where I'm like talking about stolen bourbon. Those are jokes with my friends. <laughs> <laughs> what a goddamn moron! I swear. <laughs> Like he was so bad at crime. Like he just, Oh my God. And then he like deleted all the messages and they're like, yeah, we're just going to subpoena your phone records. And now right. every single person is like, so delete whatever you want. It doesn't matter. Yeah, like the last 10 people you texted are probably the 10 people involved in this thing. He's like, yeah, you, you got me. I'm surprised he didn't have like a group chat and he was sitting in gifs like, LOL, they caught me. And like somebody in handcuffs or something. I'm sure he did. Oh I, I'm positive that he did that. Like that's God, that's a hundred percent. That's pure Toby. That's um, all, yeah. And also, Toby pure was Toby. like, in addition to like texting and stuff like that, he was really bad at like hiding the fact that he was committing crimes. Like one of his supervisors like saw that he had moved like a case of Pappy like behind a conveyor belt, mm-hmm. and so he went and uh, she's like, "Hey, like, what's that case of Pappy doing? Like, let me move it back to where it's supposed to be." And he like he was like loaded no. at her. He was like, "What wow. the hell are you doing, moving my pappy?" And she's like, "Well, like, there's no orders for it. Like, it's supposed to be in this thing." And he just like blew up at her, and everyone's like, "That's very weird that he's protective of the right. expensive bourbon that you know he's in charge of, or that he has no business to, you know, right, 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 right." Like what? Like what? What is he worried about it for? Yeah, he was yeah. really like just the most obvious bad criminal like it was it was really like really sad yeah (laughs) it sounds really sad yeah i mean like not really sad but like kind of no it's sad he's kind of pathetic yeah he's he's really bad at this um yeah like i like i don't do anything illegal but even i know like don't text people don't leave records man you're making it so easy Exactly. It's so easy easy to track that stuff these days. Even in 2015, it was easy to track that stuff. Exactly. And so that, that's kind of what becomes his undoing. And he ends up, uh, he gets arrested uh, as, as well as the rest of the Kurtzinger nine. Mm -hmm. And they all get indicted in March of 2015. Uh, Kurtzinger actually pled guilty um, because he was just, so thoroughly like caught and like right at, at this point he's like i'll just take a plea deal right i mean you're not gonna win your case so just whatever the judge is generous enough to give you just take it exactly so he he pleads guilty uh to reduce charges of engaging in organized crime uh two counts of receiving stolen property which is a class d felony uh theft by unlawful taking uh which mm. i believe is the definition of theft um yeah. Four counts of second degree possession for the steroids, uh, possession of drug paraphernalia for like the syringes that he used, the steroids. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he ends up getting sentenced to 15 years in prison. Ouch. That's a lot. Yeah. Uh, you would think it's a lot. Uh, but then the prosecutors mysteriously, uh, after 30 days in prison, were like, you know what? Let's just get him right into probation. I feel like that was like a shock treatment, like that 30 days, like, probably mm-hmm. like you know mess up messed him up pretty bad he like lost his job i'm sure he's embarrassed so he only served 30 days of a 15-year prison sentence and then he was right. released from jail on probation yeah on probation so i mean like it comes back to your point of the show all the time of like who's the victim like does the crime or does the punishment fit the crime like nobody got hurt really uh the only victim was a company and i mean 15 years even for everything that happened i feel like 15 years is kind of harsh like you well go ahead i i think there's a few things into that like there's the fact that he was like firing his gun to like scare people into like giving him the um and it looks like they didn't really go after that like maybe that was dropped in the plea deals Um, right but i mean that like you know, anytime there's a gun involved in a crime is is yeah, bad news. It's, it's almost immediately a federal crime, right? And also, like, while he kind of viewed himself as like this Robin Hood guy, where he's like stealing from the rich corporations right. and giving, uh, and giving him like stealing from the rich is like the easiest way to go to jail for a long time in the U.S. Oh, sure, or embarrassing rich people. Either yeah, 
Yeah. And so that was, that was, I think part of it as well. Uh, Also just the fact that it was like very clearly like shameless and he would have done it forever if he didn't get caught. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. He'd have done it until the day he died if he hadn't got caught. Yeah. And so that, I mean, that's kind of the story of Pappy Gate. Like I, I looked around for the sentencing information for everybody else yeah, I, I couldn't find a whole lot. Like some of the stuff, I'm not sure if it was sealed, um, but everybody else pretty much pled guilty because they were all, um, you know, all pretty dead to rights. Yeah, and I think I think most of them got very short sentences, and then probably, yeah, I would say probably a lot of the the outside people outside of Toby pretty much got a walk. You know, yeah, and um, that's and that's one of those things too because like you can't go. Like as much as it sucks, like this this kind of theft, mm-hmm. like Pappy is probably being stolen at the exact same rate today. Absolutely. It's just now other people are doing it, and you know maybe they have some cameras and stuff like that. But it's it's a good old boy system, and mm-hmm. like you can't you can't stop this from happening without like literally probably arresting everybody because all of these employees when they were getting interviewed were like, yeah, well, we, and we they all probably stole. don't they probably don't want to stop it either because it's the same thing. Um, like Adobe, when you talk about piracy on the internet, Adobe doesn't give a shit if people pirate uh, their software, and they've 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 openly said that because they make their money on enterprises and businesses and media agencies, and they and they sell them packages that they have to pay for because they can't, you know, legally pirate the software. So um, they don't care if you pirate Photoshop CS6 or whatever. Um, just like companies like this, like I'm sure it's good for their bottom line because. You know, you see these things in the news or you hear about this type of uh, heist or whatever, and it only drives up the name value of the brand. So, like, you know, people hear, oh, uh, Pappy was there was a Pappy heist and somebody stole a bunch of it. And people go, well, I have to get it now. Like, it creates kind of like an artificial scarcity. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, that definitely, I think rings very true to this because Pappy is a legendary bourbon. And I, and I realize that like, I realize that this whole episode kind of sounds like I'm advertising for Pappy Van Winkle. Uh, I'm not, it is actually that good. Uh, but it's also like, I mean, I only lived in Kentucky for what, like three, four years, but it was like, yeah, it was embedded into the culture there. Like if you said, you you walk into a bar and you say the word Pappy ears are turning. Mm -hmm. Like they're perking up and it's just like, it's one of those things. And, yeah, it's like a prestige thing. Like, uh, yep. like Tony Bourdain had like a bottle of like he always had at least one bottle of like I think he preferred the Pappy Fifteen. Mm-hmm. But it was like, and he would like Instagram it sometimes, and I would be like, man, that's like the best. Stuff. <laughs> like, like, oh, look what I've got. Um, but yeah, uh, I don't honestly. I everybody in this city is, you know, nuts over bourbon, and I don't care at all. Um. Everything is. I'm just over it because I guess because I'm around it all the time and I see it and I hear about it and I, you know. I, but I, but I mean, like you said, Pappy is a legendary name brand so much so that it made it into an episode of Silicon Valley. I don't know if you remember that or not. Oh um, yeah, yeah. When, when Gilfoyle, well, they were trying to like uh, schmooze Gilfoyle away from Pied Piper, and he's like, "Yeah, they bought me a bottle of the Pappy 23 year or whatever it was." Uh, but I was like, "Damn, they got Pappy on." on that, that's when I re- that's when I realized that it was like a big deal and not just like a local thing. Yeah, it's like that time I had it at uh, at my friend's wedding. Like everybody was like in the kind of like the back room together, and they like brought it out in like hushed tones and like yeah, right, like <laughs> pouring out like a half a shot glass. Everyone and like there were like there were like some older men in there, um, right? You know, parents of the like the family of the. Uh, the wedding parties and stuff like that. They were like, man, I've been waiting like a long time for this. And right. it was like, it was like a rite of passage. It's like, okay, like yeah. now I can go to Kentucky heaven because I have. Right. <laughs> I don't know if I want to go to Kentucky heaven, but I, I see your point. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it was, and yeah, it's just like, it's a neat, neat story. Like I do always try to stay with, with uh, stories where like people aren't really getting hurt. Um, Cause that's, like yeah, like there's no no skill to stick up, not much more skill apparently to to stealing Pappy. But this is, I thought this honestly, was like a fun, cool episode to do for the Fourth of July. Yeah, dude, this was super fun. And like honestly, it's not hard to steal anything. And I don't say that from from an ex- experience perspective, but I'm telling you, dude, like people are way less like they don't care. Like just listening to your show, you can tell like people don't care about security. They don't. You know, people can walk right into the. Uh, what was that 
museum. The mat? No, the one you did your first episode on. Oh, the, the gardener museum. Yeah, yeah. Like, they just literally almost basically walked in and were like, we're going to steal this stuff. I mean, they did tie the people up, but for real, it was it was like, it's so easy. Security, yeah. is, security is one of the most underfunded, underdeveloped parts of almost every business in the country. Yeah. And, and like when it comes to bourbon too, like bourbon, like by definition, like disappears. So like, it's not weird for like the the count to be light because like, if you have an especially hot summer, more of that bourbon's going to evaporate. And then it's like, Oh, why are our numbers weird? Right. You know, I did security at, like I said, at a hotel for like six years and we were hilariously underfunded because they didn't think we were necessary. But then all of a sudden, a bottle of something goes missing from one of the bars, and why weren't security there? Because nobody pays security what they're worth. You know, if you've got a if you've got a product like a Pappy that has such a high value that's you know going to bring your company a lot of money, why wouldn't you invest in someone to protect it and care about protecting it instead of paying someone you know eight dollars an hour to sit at the desk all night? Well, I mean, I think that's kind of the that's kind of the beauty of of something like Pappy because like having it like having to get it from the black market like adds the to the mystique. Oh, sure, it, like, that's true. Becomes like a fabled like oh man, this right. is a it's a challenge. You can't just walk into the liquor barn and buy a bottle of it. Yeah, that's and fair. so I think I think all of that kind of uh, kind of constitutes. But like speaking of like you know kind of like the undercrime. Yeah, Valley of Kentucky and stuff like that. Like, why don't you, uh, why don't you tell the listeners real quick about uh, your podcast? Because it's fascinating. It's crazy, well produced and written. It's oh well, thank you so much. It'd be one of my favorites, even if I didn't know you, honestly. Um, so we just came back. We were off for a few months. I started. I started spitballing the idea about two years ago when I was in school and pitching it around, getting ideas, coming up with branding and looks and things like that. I didn't actually start producing episodes until about six months ago, maybe eight months ago, right before Christmas last year. Um, I got three or four in the, in the books and recorded them. You know, I hired a professional audio engineer to do fix the audio and do the atmosphere sounds and everything. Um, and because I, you know, I wanted to do a podcast. I had some experience you remember the old one we did viral pleasure. Um, but that was just me and my, friend Joe just sitting in my bedroom being stupid for an hour, hour and a half a week. Um, but I wanted to do it again because I like doing it. And, you know, I love true crime. I like, I like gross true crime. I like, you know, violent, vulgar, whatever, but I didn't want to go that way because that kind of limits your audience. So we decided to do Louisville true crime. And well, I decided to do focus on Louisville because there's a bunch of like cases that, um, you know, they maybe I say this in the first episode, they didn't really get a lot of national coverage, but they're still worthy of being told. They're still good stories. Oh, um, definitely. So like I wanted to do that and then I kind of it comes and goes as far as like production because like we don't make any money off of it, obviously. So the the amount of time I can invest into it is limited because I'm not making money. So uh, you know, other things come first. Well, we're back into it now. We just we the first couple of episodes we did were some of my favorites. Uh, we did a story about uh, these two guys who um, would abduct people from a drive-in theater ticket booth and murder them. They only got two murders before they got caught because they were idiots. Um, Thank God. We, we, yeah, we um, we did an episode on this little girl named Alma Kellner who was abducted and murdered in the nineteen teens, like nineteen twelve or thirteen or something. And I was listening to a different podcast just the other day and they were, they had talked about her and apparently we got our information wrong. Uh, the guy that we had pinned as the murderer was the guy who took the fall and it was someone else. And I was like, Oh, that's uh well, I mean, you know, I put it up. I'll admit when we're wrong. So we just, um, are you, are you going to edit that one or like change it? Nah, or are you just nah, going to have like the wrong murderer out there for no perpetuity? Need. It's on social media. There's no need to edit it. Um, but, uh, I, I would just like to let my listeners know that if I ever find out that the wrong person stole something, I will update you. I would, I would update it. I would update it. I don't think I would change the episode, but I would put a note out and say, Hey, you know, we got an, we made an error or whatever. Um, but anyway, so the most recent episode we did was our most in-depth jump so far on Dan Johnson. One of my friends told me she wanted to help me do research. Um, because that was one of my biggest boons was doing research because it's a lot of work. Um, so she wants to do that. So she started doing research and we got this Dan Johnson 
episode together. Uh, for those who don't know, the Dan Johnson was a uh, he ran a church. I'm not going to call him a preacher because he wasn't a preacher, but he ran a church here in Kentucky in Louisville that was like a biker bar basically, and he um was not a good person. He was a serial liar. He was a narcissist. Uh, he was a rapist and uh, he was not a good person, but we did a lot of deep dive on that. And all of that information is correct to the best of our knowledge. Awesome. Um, <laughs> no, that sounds, uh, that sounds super fascinating. Like I, I'm definitely going to check that out. Cause that sounds like, that sounds like a TV show I would watch, but yeah, it's really good. And then like, we're coming up, we actually just got an email back today. We requested an interview uh, with the lady involved in another case that we're working on. Um, nice. And she said she didn't want to do it for fear of her safety, which I was like, okay, that's oh, fair. Fair enough. I, I feel like I should not have said nice right there. Yeah, no, right. Um, but, I, but, you know, and it because it, it's a civil rights-based case, and she's a, a woman of color, so it was like, oh, okay, I understand. No, that, that makes yeah. sense. But, th- yeah. like, definitely, uh, if you're listening to this and you're interested in, you know, local true crime told from the point of view of somebody that you know, has grown up in that community, definitely check out Louisville True Crimes Podcast. We'll have that in the show notes as well. Yeah. Cool. And if you're liking this podcast, uh, make sure that you, uh, you know, like and subscribe, whether you're in iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, uh, wherever, leave us a review, uh, preferably on iTunes. It helps us find a bigger audience every single week. Tell a friend about the podcast if you're, if you're into that. And thank you guys so much for support. Thank you for reaching out. I'm getting new fan mail like pretty much every single week, which has been really great. We've got a bunch of new episodes coming out that are listener suggested. And I'm really excited about it. So thank you guys so much for checking out the podcast. If this is your first time, please uh, let us know how you found us and uh, like and subscribe. And we will be back next week with a brand new episode. This has been I Can Steal That.